Now, I haven't spoken to Graham about what I'm going to speak about this morning. Just remember that last song that you've sung there, right? Just keep that in mind once I speak through the morning. What that song says. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to say this. You're not allowed to say this. How good is it to be in Christ on a day like this? It's good to be in Christ any day. But when the sun's shining, you get a wee taste of what heaven's going to be like. You know, it's just that. It's a lovely, lovely feeling. And it is. It's a, it's a wee... It's a wee flicker, it's a wee reminder of the beautiful creation that God, okay, it's fallen now and we still think it's beautiful. What's it going to be like when it's repaired? What's it going to be like when it's repaired? Well, no way will we handle it. We'll need to lie in our bed for a wee while. <laughs> Folks, this morning's word, very, very short. I don't mean the sermon, it's me. The sermon's never going to be short. So you need to just put up with that one. It's, a, it's, it's from Genesis, it's very, very, very well known. It's Genesis 3.15. It's always good when the speaker says it's from Exodus or Genesis, because you know exactly where that is, don't you? Everybody knows where that is. I can go to the front. I'll go to the front. I'll get it there. <laughs> it's when they say something like Habakkuk, and you go, oh, wait a minute, where is that? Where is that? Genesis 3.15, God's word. Now, here's a, here's a, wee, a, a wee bit for you. Charles Spurgeon, some of you don't know who he was, Charles Spurgeon, Harden Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon was a famous, famous Baptist preacher. And he refers to this as the first sermon. This is the first sermon. This, 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 we 315. And God is the preacher. And all of creation is the congregation. This is the first sermon ever spoken. Genesis 315. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Let me read that again. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is God's word, may bless it to our hearts this day and forevermore. Some of you may have seen, there was a small piece in the BBC News website, there was a couple of other outlets that did this this morning. A young boy's called Nicholas Green. Nicholas Green. Now, Nicholas Green was in holiday with his mum and dad in 1994. 1984, sorry, 1984. 1984, he was in holiday with his mum and dad in the south of Italy. And touring about, I think there was his mum, dad and his brother and as they were driving through Italy they were driving along the road the two kids were in the back, sleep, back seat asleep and a car pulled alongside them and started motioning at them to stop and pull over his dad there, Reg said no, he says I knew there was something wrong because it was South Italy a lot of, sort of criminal stuff going on down that way and his dad sped off and the car started chasing them and they saw a gun and they knew just as well didn't stop. They were basically robbers. They were going to rob the family. So as they sped off, they got away. But just as they were getting away, the robber fired a, a shot, a couple of shots out of the car. They thought they'd missed them. And when they got to a car park spot, his mum got out and she was checking the kids in the back and they noticed that Nicholas wasn't moving. Nicholas had been shot. He'd been, he'd been shot by one of the, the robbers. And it turned out he went into a coma and he went to hospital and all the rest of it. And young Nicholas had um, sadly passed away. 
and the family were distraught, they were heartbroken. And what happened was, is a mark of respect and honour to his son, Nicholas's dad decided to donate all his organs. To give away all his organs for people who were maybe dying and sick and ill and all that. Not realising the impact that that would have, because Italy went into a frenzy at the time. <coughs> this young child on holiday with his parents had been killed in this country. It was, it was a national outrage came out. And as his, his parents had donated his organs, his organs were given to a lot of people. And that was all the people who lived. Everything, his heart, his lungs, his, his kidneys, his, his corneas, his everything. And those people all went on to have full lives. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. Italy was so outraged and there was such an outpouring that people wanted to make a mark on it. In 1993, there was only about 6.2 million donations in Italy. Italy is a huge country, only about 6.2. By 2006, there was over 20 million. They leapt to the top of the European organ donation table as a consequence of what happened to that wee fella. On that, they named 50 squares and streets after them, 27 parks and gardens, 27 schools and 16 other monuments after Nicholas Green. They honoured the young man. His father honoured him by donating his organs. And the impact that that had in Italy. Hundreds of thousands of people lived. Not just those people. Strangely enough, his dad was saying on the, the interview, it was, it was quite powerful. His dad says, my son's heart just stopped beating this year, 2017. Because the fellow that had been given his heart, he passed away this year. But a whole country was changed by this father honouring his son. And that country honoured that boy <coughs> backwards. And the power of giving honour is, is immense. It's immense. It's a thing that's not done often nowadays. People don't give honour or respect. The biblical word for it is glorify. Right? The biblical word is glorify. It's not common nowadays. Um, it's not common, but it's a biblical imperative. It's a biblical, it's a must in the Bible that God must be glorified. That song that you sang there. Lord, I lift your name on high. Even as I was sitting here, are you ready for this one? I was looking at this. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46. Does anyone know what the next couple of lines are? For I will be exalted among the heathens. I will be exalted among the earth. Glorifying God is a biblical imperative. When I use the word glorify, it just means honour. It's just another way of saying honour. Right? To honour God. To glorify God. And you might be asking yourself, how does this passage, Genesis 3.15, it doesn't even mention the word honour in there. Well, hopefully, as you know, the way I tend to preach, I start a way, way out there, and I bring it all the way back in. Because I like to start where God is, not where Vic is. And with those words, those words are spoken by God. So we'll start there. You see, I've only ever understood Genesis 3.15 about us. Adam and Eve was in the garden, they committed a sin. God came down and said to Satan and the to the serpent, I'm going to send my son and my son is going to deal with you and I'm going to have my people back from committing a sin. I've never understood it that way. 
It was all about us, God rescuing us from our sin. It was only when I was reading a sermon by another fellow that something dawned on me. You see, when God stepped out into the garden to make a fight with Satan to rescue us from the devil, God made the, the fight personal. God stepped down into our mess. Now we always think Jesus stepped down on earth. God done that before. He stepped from his throne into the garden and made a fight with the Satan personal. Look at the first three words in that passage. And I will. You see, God didn't say, when we committed a sin, when we broke God's law in the garden, God didn't say, well, you're on your own. You've made the mess, you deal with it. He didn't. He made a personal fight. He said, no, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with this. And the question that dawned on me was, why would God do that? Why did God feel he had to do that? Or he wanted to do that? That he wanted to deal with Satan personally. The serpent in the garden. The first obvious answer that springs to mind as a Christian is that God made the fight with the devil personal because of his love for us. God loved us so much, we made a mess of it in the garden, we broke his law, he said, don't eat the fruit for that tree. And Eve went and done it. Broke his law, disobeyed him. And he won us back. Because the punishment for that is death. You're out of the garden and not only that, you're never getting back in. You're never getting back into heaven. That's, that's the rules. But God doesn't want that. He wanted his back. But he can't break his own rules. So he had to find a way. And that way was, he did it because he loves us so much. John 3.16 in the Bible, we, we can all quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That's the reason why God picked a fight with the devil to win us back. After we're messing the Garden of Eden. But as with all things with God, it's not just one dimensional. God just, God just doesn't do everything for us. God is God. God does everything for him. Be who he is. That's what he does. And God made the fight with Satan. Not just to rescue us. But for his own glory. God cannot tolerate dishonour. He cannot, it cannot exist in God's creation. Someone dishonouring God. A sneaky serpent comes into the garden, tempts God's people away from him. The people get punished, and God says, and you get punished as well. Because not only have you tempted them away from me, you have insulted me. You have insulted me. Spurgeon in his sermon, he speaks about it this way. When I read this, I was like, oh, that's it. Charles Spurgeon. If anybody doesn't know, he was called the Prince of Preachers. An amazing, amazing preacher. And he says, this is God, this, would, this is about God, this is how he sees how God approached it. Not for your sakes do I do this, O fallen man or woman, nor for the sake of your descendants, but for my own name and honour's sake, that my name may not be profaned among the fallen spirits. I will repair the damage caused by the tempter, that my name and my glory may not be diminished among the immortal spirits who look down upon this scene. That God's name may not be diminished. 
Yes, he fought to rescue us, but he would not tolerate his name being diminished by Satan. I've never ever seen that before. I've never ever seen that. I don't know how many times I've quoted that verse 315. His glory would not be diminished. Now, we know it, folks. In churches, we use words like glorify and beatitude, and they're all all worldly business. And need really. Truth was, I never really knew what glorify meant. It just means to give honour, to give respect to somebody. Like the people in Italy did to that wee boy Nicholas Green. They gave him honour by naming streets and cities and things different after him. If God's glory won't be diminished, he won't allow it to be diminished. What is his glory? We're all familiar, when God's glory is mentioned in the Bible, it's usually accompanied by something. Light. God's glory is always accompanied by light. When God's in pre- when his presence is here. Now what God's glory effectively is... God is so perfect and so holy and so good and so excellent that it shines out. You hear it, you, there's, an old, there's a Hebrew word for it, Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory, right? It emanates, he's so perfect that it emanates him. Do you ever meet somebody, right, and you know there's something no right with them? Because you're getting a... <laughs> you're going, something no right with them. There's something no right because you're getting a vibe. Something's, something's coming out of them. Well, there's never anything wrong with God. God's perfect and he's beautiful and he's wise and he's holy and he's excellent. And that just explodes at him. I heard a preacher once say, he says he's that beautiful and holy that his light, it's heavy. You can't stand under it, it's too... The most common occurrence that people are familiar with in the Bible is when Moses goes up the mountain and he talks to God. And Moses says to God, show me your glory. Show me it. And more or less God says to him, you can't see this. You can't see this. In fact, it's in Exodus 33, 18, 22. God says to Moses on the mountain, look, I'll show you my glory, but there's a a split in the rock over there. You better go and stand in it. You better stand in that space there. And when I come by, I'll put my hand over you so that when I pass by, because if you see the glory of God, the light shining out of God, you will explode. You will not survive it. And as God passes, Moses in the rock, puts his hand over. And all Moses sees is God's back as he passes by. But you know when Moses came down off the mountain? His face was radiant. Talks about it. His face was shining with God's glory. This, this man had been in the presence of the holy living God. In fact, he had to put a veil over his face. Had to put a veil over it. It talks about Exodus 34. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So that's God's glory. But as with all things with God, there's, there's, there's different bits to his glory. It's not just that shining light that comes out of him. It's his name. It's who he is. God has an honoured and respected name in the heavens. What did the angels sing when Jesus was born? Glory, glory, hallelujah. The angels, the saints, the eternal spirits glorify God's name. 
he is, you know how in Glasgow you say, oh, he's a good guy. Imagine that in an unmeasurable scale for God. And that's the glory we're going to talk about. That's the glory God defended in the Garden of Eden for himself when he said, I will put enmity. I'm making this fight personal because you insulted my name. My name. And that's the glory we're going to talk about. Now glorifying God and God's name is important. We sang it in the song. Lord, I lift your name on high. It's important to God that we do that. It's not that he needs it. It's just the natural response. This is how important it is to God. He picked a fight with Satan because Satan insulted him. What are the first three commandments about? Honouring God. Honouring God. It's so important to God that he built the foundation of his ten commandments on honouring his name. You shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make any idols and bow down before them and worship them. Second commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For as oldies, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. His name is important. So important that he made it a law. So the first three. So he's picked a fight with Satan. He's built his law on it. Further on in the New Testament. Jesus throughout his life continually glorified the Father. Jesus' whole life was about glorifying God. Pointing to the Father. And his beauty and his perfection and his holiness. That's what Jesus. John 13.31 Therefore when he had gone out. Jesus said. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Some translations say through him. John 17, 4. Jesus speaking to the Father says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. So do you see that? Lifting God's name high, and respecting God's name, and worshipping God, it's crucial. If you're a Christian, you must do it. You don't have an option. You cannot insult God with anything. Before I swear any further, there are people who say that glorifying God is, you basically walk about all day shouting hallelujah. That is part of worshipping God, but there's more. There's more to just words. There's more to it than that. It should be an automatic response from human beings. It should be an automatic response that, wait a minute. Somebody created me. Someone, a beautiful, holy, wise, just person created me. Your automatic response should be to get down on your knees and thank them. That should be, but it's no our automatic response. The reason for that is because we fell in the garden. We're fallen. We're sinful creatures. You can't believe it, can't you know that you put... You put someone as beautiful as God in front of a human being and they go, ah no, I've, I've got to go to the cup final. I'm, I've got this today, I've got a carry by, I've got this. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is God we're talking about. No, no, I've got other things in my mind. That's because we're fallen. Romans 3 talks about it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, can't, we don't do it naturally. We should, but we don't. So how are we going to honour God? How do we do it? Well, one of the things we need to be clear about is we don't do it naturally. God gives us 
He gives us the strength for it. It's God that changes us to make us worship him. It's God that does that. 2 Corinthians says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. So know that before I go on here. We don't glorify God naturally. We've got to ask him. Lord help me to glorify you. Help me to glorify you. Help me to honour your name. We've got to ask him for that power because we don't have it. What we do is we break his law. He's got to transform us through the spirit. So the big question is, is how do we glorify God? How do you do that? Do you run about all day just shouting hallelujah? I'm sure that would work. <laughs> but <coughs> scripture tells you exactly how you do it. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Or, if you want to put it another way, glorify God with your life. Your whole life must glorify God. All of your life. Every waking, breathing, thinking, acting second of your life must glorify God. You don't get a day off. You don't go, I've been... I come from a Roman Catholic background, right? And everybody in my family thought, they went to confession and if they went to church and they went to chapel and that, they could go out on the Friday and get absolutely steamboats drunk and go up to all sorts of depredation and go gambling and that. <laughs> because they thought they'd honoured God for a few days. They bought themselves some credit. It's not how it works. It doesn't say in Corinthians, therefore glorify God in your body two days out of seven. That means all the time. We ask God to help us. What are the areas of our life? Now we could be here all day try to break down your life into areas that glorify God. So I've just went for the obvious ones. Thoughts, words, actions. How do our thoughts glorify God? Now, as we all know, thoughts are very, very difficult things to control. Especially when we're emotional. They're very, very difficult. They're hard things to control, thoughts. And to the wee tester on that, right, okay, we'll do this. I'm going to ask you something here. And whatever you do, whatever, whatever you do, do not, do not, do not think of a white horse. (laughs) What control have you got? Do you see what I mean? What does he think of? A white horse. That's how much control we've got over our thoughts. That's why we must go to God and ask him to help us. Help us. You know, the most common area that I've found that in is I've spoken to many, many, many Christian men and you know what a real common area problem that they have is when a good looking woman passes or they're driving along the road it's where their head goes it automatically jumps to a God a not a God honouring place I was talking to a pal of mine recently and he came up with a great line he says aye 
It's the second look that's a problem. Perfect. The wisdom in that is perfect. It's the second look. Because the second look means something else. And it's not God honouring to be like that. It's not God honouring. You see, God can hear our thoughts just as clearly as if we'd got a megaphone and screamed them for the top of a multi-story flat. God can hear our thoughts. And he can hear how insulting they are when we're not God honouring. But it's not just in areas like that. If we think ill or badly of someone, we need to do something about that. We cannot sit with it. We must take it to God. If we have resentment, we must take it to God. If we have hate, if we have anger, if we have revenge in our heart, we must take it to God. We've got to. We must. And as Corinthians says, through the Spirit, we will be transformed into Him. And here's the truth here. See when that happens. You've got to pester God. Pester him. Like Jacob. And wait there. Until he blesses you. With a new mind. And a new way of going forward. And that's for thoughts. Now difficult they are. We need to take more minds to God. And ask him to heal them. The next one up for that is Words. Sin is an equal opportunities employer. Right? Sin employs everybody. Men, women, rich, poor. Everybody gets a job with sin. Right? So, I'll use a wee illustration here. Now, thoughts are bad enough when you're having God destroying thoughts. Words is a whole new level. When you take the bad thoughts and you start speaking them. When we put words into God discerning thought, uh, thoughts into God discerning words... We're insulting God. We're insulting him right away. Now, I work in an office that's predominantly staffed by women. Most of my career has been in engineering. It's been a male-dominated environment. Now, I can only speak about my experience here. My experience says that... I'm not saying that men can be a bigger bunch of gossips, because they can be. But there's a whole different... I can't... Dynamic in, 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 a, in a woman-dominated environment. And I have seen some of the finest character assassinations going on. Right? And as a guy, the, the thing that really blow, blows my mind is the group will character assassinate each other and they're all scared to leave the company because they know as soon as they walk away they're all going to talk about them. I'll give you an example of what happened. I was sitting at my desk one day and my colleague came up to my desk and she put a post-it, a wee yellow post-it on my desk and it had financial numbers on it, just handwritten 28,000 34,000, 40,000 I was like and she went see all them up there, that's their salaries now this is not prompted, this is just and I went oh right, right. And I'm, I'm wondering, at first I thought maybe I have to put these in a spreadsheet or something or, or Aye, and see her, she gets paid this and she only get that job because of this and that's like a good 15 minutes uh. and then she went away to her seat she sat down and a couple of minutes later one of the people that she'd been talking about came up to get something for her and she went, oh hi, hi how are you, how are you, how's things for you oh Gracie, and how's the wings and that and you're like, whoa, wait a minute this is nuts 
But if you're a Christian and you're acting like that, forget about the damage that you're doing to the other human beings. You're spitting in God's face. He has given his life. He has given us life. He has given us his love. He has picked a fight with Satan, personally. A fight he didn't have to take on to save us. And the best that we can do is act like that. By speaking ill of other human beings. And you know, the damage, the damage just doesn't to the person that we're speaking to. Or speaking about. It's other people watching us. There's damage there. They go, oh, that, that's, that, that's that Christian guy. You want to hear the way he talks about people. So not only do we insult God, there's other. They don't get me wrong, sometimes we've got to say things about other people to deal with situations. You know, people might be acting or behaving in a way and we've got to do something about it. But we need to go to God and say, Father, before I open this big mouth, would you strip my heart of all the venom and, and, and jealousy and anger and rage about this person and make them God on and words of truth that I'm going to speak about them? Stop me for doing this, Father. And until he gives you that, don't open your mouth. Because you'll only insult God. You'll dishonour him. You'll dishonour God. Your thoughts and, and words can be bad. Actions, whole different level. When we put our ill thoughts and words into action, they can actually encourage other people to sin and dishonour God. I'm thinking about, as Christians, we're probably very familiar. Over the years, you see newspaper articles. Minister caught an illicit affair. Elder of church and trust with female member or whatever it is, right? And it goes both ways, by the way. It's not just the guys again. It goes both ways. And my heart always sinks when I see that, when there's adulterous or illicit relationships going on in churches. My heart sinks for the person who's fallen. It falls for them. But I also feel for the unseen injured. The wives, the husbands, the kids, the church communities that are destroyed by that sort of action. And then my heart really bleeds because the world is looking in on it. And God, oh, that's the Christians. God honouring dishonouring actions like that have a massive radius of impact in the world. And then people dishonour God. Ah, oh, who wants to get involved with God? Look what they're all like. I'm not involved in that. And it's not even just the big actions like that, the, 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 the adulterous affairs and the bank robberies, things like that. There's the small things that dishonour God. I work with a woman who's a Christian. And she runs a lottery fund at the work. And I'm like, hold on a minute, how does this work? <laughs> you see, there's many, many Christians treat gambling as a nothing. Gambling is a dishonour, it's an insult to God. So see that cheeky wee lottery ticket? Oh, that wee cheeky... Do you know what that is? That's a statement that I don't believe in God, I believe in chance. I believe in something called chance, I don't believe in God's plan for my life. So I'll buy this wee ticket and he'll give me. See if God wants to make you a millionaire, he'll make you a millionaire. And he doesn't need permission for Camelot to do that. He's the God that created the universe. <coughs> So the wee cheeky lottery ticket 
is a small action that dishonours and insults God. You've got the big ones, you've got the wee ones. In every situation, we need to take these things to God so that we can honour him. We cannot honour him if we're having ill thoughts, speaking bad words, or acting it dishonourably towards God. We need to go before him and say, Lord, heal this. Transform me. So that I can glorify you. I can stand here and sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. Not just as a song, but with my life. With my whole life. And as Christians, that's what we've got. See, because we destroyed our lives in the Garden of Eden. We destroyed our lives with our sinfulness. And the rest of our lives. It was important enough for Jesus to glorify God. We must. Because Jesus gave his life on the cross to glorify the Father. To glorify God. To show the world who God was. You're only being asked to lead a life that glorifies God. That's what he's asking you to lead a life that glorifies the Father. And that's what we need to do. Now if the impact of a man donating his son's organs can change a country like Italy. What impact would this room glorifying God have in this community? They said earlier, God made it personal to defend his honour. We need to honour him for that fact. This is God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and our lives this day and forevermore. Heavenly Father, you took it upon yourself to resolve the destruction that was caused by the tempter in the Garden of Eden. When we destroyed our lives, when we destroyed the beautiful loving relationship we had with you in favour of disobedience, we broke that. But you stepped down to rescue us. You stepped down to rescue us. And you personally vowed to heal the destruction that we had caused. Father, we thank you for this. But in that, Father, we see your perfect holiness. We see your wisdom, your beauty, your justice, your power. And perfection that, that shines forth in a blinding light that none of us can stand in the presence of. Your glory, Father. Your glory. And we must... We must die to ourselves, to our ideas of what's important. And we must turn our lives towards glorifying you, to worshipping you, to leading lives that honour you with every thought, with every word, with every action, with every deed. That not only in the quiet places you will be honoured, where people do not see our deeds, or hear our words, or are aware of our thoughts, but also that you are glorified in the public space by our lives. Father, we know we are sinful and fallen and weak. And that is why we turn to you. 
And in the name of Jesus, we ask you for the Holy Spirit to heal our minds, to restrain our tongues, and to guide us in right action. That for no other reason, no other purpose will be to glorify you. We pray for this strength and we pray for this wisdom, Father. We ask that you change us and transform us through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our glorious Saviour who sits with you. We pray all this in his name. Amen.